0: That's right. My favorite part of that video is when the cut torch lights up. Oh, man. That's what you know work's going to get done. Well, welcome, Grace Chapel. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm glad to worship with you. What a great experience that is. Can we give it up for our worship team and tech team? Yeah. That is incredible. And, and I really like the addition of the worship or the prayer cards. So be, be sure to fill those out. Uh, if, if, as you feel the Spirit prompting you on a, on a Sunday morning, and we'll, we'll get those prayer requests answered. Um, so we've been going through the series called Built to Last. You saw the video. I'm a little sad, you guys, because that's the last time we're going to play the video. This is the end of our Built to Last series, and um, yeah, so, but it's been a great series. I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed talking about investing in our lives in a way that makes them strong. Uh, you know, um, the whole series has been about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus uh, preached this crazy sermon uh, uh, 2,000 years ago to his disciples, and a couple of his disciples recorded it, and we have that in, 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 um, in Matthew specifically in Ma- chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's, it's a lengthy sermon. You guys think I preach long Try, try three chapters, right? No, no, no. That, I, I try to cut mine off a little shorter. But, but Jesus covers many, many topics in that sermon. I really highly recommend, uh, If you, even if you are familiar with this passage of Scripture, go back, read it again, memorize parts of it. Um, in ninth grade, I actually memorized in the entire fifth chapter of Matthew, and, and that has ministered to my heart many, many years later. So it's a great passage. Um, Jesus says in the end of this sermon, he says, Listen, um, uh, he's talking to his disciples and anybody else that is standing there listening, and he says this. This is what the series is built on in seven, uh, chapter 7, 24. He says, "'Therefore, after all this, after I've said all these things to you, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, and the streams rose up, and the winds blew a beat against the house, yet it did not fall.' Because it had its foundation on the rock. And that passage is what our series has been built on. And, and the, the idea and the question that I keep asking you over and over every week is, what are you building? What are you building? And, and, and are you building something that will last? Are you building something that will outlast you? Because Jesus tells us that if we put it in his words into practice, if we work on them, if we practice them, then we will be build it like a builder who builds his house on the rock. So that's the challenge this morning, and that's the idea behind the series, and I think it's been a, a great one, so I'm excited. I would like to mention, um, next week, we are going to be hearing from Mike Sikosho from the Schenectady City Mission. So he's going to be speaking, which is going to be fantastic. He's a great friend and mentor of mine, and so I'm really excited to have him come. So even though we're ending this series, which makes me sad, we have Mike to look forward to, so that'll be good. Um, during the series, I've talked a lot about my construction experience. And I, I got to tell you, I, I tend to think about the great stories. I tend to think about the, the really cool things that have happened in that experience. I, I try to forget the injuries and, and the bad things that have happened and the times that you don't meet the deadline and the homeowner's angry and the boss is angry and everybody's upset because you're late. I forget those stories. But I do remember this one time. This was early on when I had just started framing, and I was just old enough to start framing with a crew. My dad was working on a different house. I had a brand new house to work on, and my brother was on a third job uh, up further north in the city we were in. And I remember the first day, I mean, I was pretty nervous, the first day we show up to the job site. And if you've never seen a new job site of a new home, it's basically a big hole in the ground that's like really deep and usually has a lot of water in the bottom of it. And if you're lucky, if you're lucky, there's a concrete box in that hole. And that concrete box is your foundation. So you show up to the job site and you kind of go, okay, um... Someday there's going to be a house here, but that's a lot of time that's going to be between now and then. And so I showed up to the job, and I'm nervous, and the guys that are with me, my crew, they're nervous. And okay, what do we do? And I kind of know what the next steps are, but I'm not really sure. And man, we just throw everything we have into this job site. I think everybody was nervous for me, and we put a solid 40 hours into this job. And I walked away that Friday night, and I and I scratched my head and said, you know. I had all these dreams and plans about this house and, and I wanted walls to be up by now. I wanted the subfloor on and, and you know we never really even made it past the like the water sill that you put on the concrete floor or the concrete uh, foundation. And I went to my dad and it, my dad said, how's the, how's the job going? And I, you know, it's just not going as fast as I want it to. And he said, well, well, what are you spending your time doing? I went, well, you know, every morning we get to work and we roll the the." the, the, materi- the, the tools out and get all the cords and the air compressor and the air all out and everything's ready and then and then we just kind of jump in and we work really really hard and and i make sure the guys only take 30 minutes a day for lunch and they got a 15 minute break in the morning and in the afternoon and we just hit it hard we work hard but i said that's great but but consider this what if you got the guys together early in the morning before you start and you say listen guys this is what i want to do today the goal is to finish this part So we're going to do these three things, and if we finish these three things, maybe we'll get the fourth thing done. But let them know what you're trying to accomplish, and then work towards those goals. And I went, wow, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) What my dad was saying is you really have to be intentional, and, and it's a battle. You have to focus, you have to use discipline, and you have to work hard. It's not enough to just kind of go through life and just try really hard. You have to be intentional. And he was saying, what you focus on is what you'll accomplish. So make sure you specifically, intentionally focus on the things that you want to accomplish. So I got to work, and we got a little bit more goal-oriented. And sure enough, the house slowly over time got built. I will tell you the homeowner was a little upset we missed our deadline, but it's okay. We got it worked out. You know, what we spend our time on is is worth thinking about. It's worth sitting down and going, what do I spend my time doing? You know, Jesus asked me to build this thing and and to build it like a wise man who builds his house on the the, the rock. Jesus asked me to, to practice what he teaches me. But what does that really look like in my life? What do I spend my time day in and day out doing? I think sometimes we can go, oh, yes, I love Jesus. Big fan. You know, I've read the Bible a few times, and and I love what he teaches, so that's the way I live. And we just kind of generally assume that, that the things that Jesus has taught us are being done. But if you start looking behind you and you go, what am I building? Is it actually getting done? Am I building something that will outlast me? Am I building the way Jesus has asked me to? You might be surprised at what you've spent your time doing. We live in a technological age. Never in the history of mankind have we had more information at our fingertips than we have right now. So, I did a little research. And, and my wife makes fun of me a little bit because I do research on Facebook. Now, Facebook is not a good place to do research. That's a good place to, to find out what people think. But it's not a good place to do research. So I assure you this did not come from Facebook. This came from other sources, scientific empirical data to be specific. And there's a couple of really interesting studies out there that I think you guys would be interested in. So the first question is how much time do you spend with your phone? How much time do you spend looking at your phone? The survey that I found, empirical data, says this. Three and a half hours for the average American we spend on our phone. Now, you might go, well, that doesn't sound that much, but it it gets interesting. The survey dug down a little bit, and it did a lot of research on how we use our phones. This is just phones, not computers or iPads. Just phones. Three and a half hours of time with our phone every day, 58 checks of our phone a day so 58 times we pick up the phone we look at it we put it back down okay wow 58 that's a lot of times hopefully that's not why you're driving hopefully that's not why you're at work but you know 58 times now it gets even more interesting listen to this half of the times that we pick up our phone we set it back down and three minutes goes by and we pick it back up this is starting to get interesting so three and a half hours a day on our phone, 58 checks a day, half of those checks are within three minutes of each other. We're getting specific here. Three and a half hours. So I'm going I'm to do an experiment with you, and I can't help you if you're on an Android, but I can help you if you're on an iPhone. So if you have an iPhone, pull it out. It's okay. I'm giving you permission. You can look at it. All right, we're going to pull it out, and I want you to go to the settings. Hopefully you know where settings are. If you don't, Ask the person next to you, they'll show you. If you're on an Android, I'm sure it's similar, but I don't have an Android. So go to settings, and you don't even have to scroll. You have to look at your settings page. Sorry, this is not a tutorial on on iPhones, but this will help. Select screen time. These little devices are amazing. (laughs) Select screen time, and you can see on average how much time you spend on your phone. See all activity, you can look at the week, you can look at the day, or you can see we're already getting the tutorial going here. Uh Uh-oh, we can't find it, huh? And you can start to see how much time. So now, this is what we're going to do. I know if your eyes are getting wider when you look at the number of average minutes on your phone a day, who in the room... Is that three hours a day weekly? Anybody? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, three hours. That's not as many people as I anticipated. Anybody go four hours? Anybody bold enough to raise their hand on four hours? Yes, a few of you. All right, I can top you. Who can go five hours average? Anyone? Nobody's nobody's bold enough to raise their hand. Yeah, you got it five hours, four hours, three hours a day on our phones. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that's wrong. We live in an informational age. I need my phone for many things that I do throughout my day in ministry. How am I going to pray for you? How am I going to text you? How am I going to connect with you? These devices are amazing. But it's worth thinking about, what am I looking at? What am I focusing on? And what's it doing to me? If we're going to practice Jesus' words, we have to be intentional. You know, in Jesus' day, they didn't have smartphones. A news flash for you. I know that's surprising. But you know what? They had other stuff. They had other distractions. They had other struggles. And Jesus knows these struggles, and he speaks to those struggles. And we can easily translate them to how much time we spent on the phone, or how much time we spent on Facebook or, or what we're looking at. Jesus says this in his Sermon on the Mount. This is chapter six of Matthew. So Matthew chapter six, Jesus says this in verse 22. He says this, "The eye is the lamp of the body." Interesting. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And that's a very peculiar thing to say to his disciples, but oh, I think it applies to us today too. Jesus is using this comparison of healthy eyes that let in light and unhealthy eyes that that let in shadow or don't let in light. And he's saying that the eyes are like the lamp. So you can determine how much light is in the room by how bright the lamp is. He's saying if you have healthy eyes, your whole body can be full of light. But if you have unhealthy eyes, there's a lot of darkness inside of you. This is a really interesting perspective Jesus uses. Healthy eyes let in light and our brain knows how to process that light in a certain way and we get images in our head and we can see. Unhealthy eyes limit the light. This is what happens when you get cataracts. They limit the light and you, and you can't see as well and things get darker and fuzzier. Jesus is saying if you have healthy eyes, your whole body is full of light. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's what I want. I want healthy eyes. And if you have unhealthy eyes, the last line of that passage says, how great is that darkness? And I hate to go dark on you guys. I hate to go negative on you. But think about the worst possible evil you can imagine. That evil doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in an instant. It happens when eyes are unhealthy and they grow more and more and more unhealthy. And pretty soon that person is so full of darkness that they don't know what ends up. This is where we get evil in our world. And Jesus is saying it starts with what you look at. It starts with what you focus on. So if you have any interest, any interest at all in practicing Jesus' words, we need to be very, very careful what we look at. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote a letter to his church. He wrote a letter to his church in Rome. And this is the way he starts his letter. This is in the first chapter of Romans, the letter to the Roman church. And, and, And Paul paints a picture that I will warn you is stark. This is what he says in verse 21 of chapter 1. Paul says, for although they knew God, these people he's talking about are evil people that have chosen a horrible, evil path. He says this is how it happens. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Sounds like Jesus' words with dark hearts. 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged glory of the immortal God. They exchanged that glory for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. They began to worship the creation instead of the creator. And in 24, therefore, God gave them over he gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies and with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Oh, that's a scary verse. That's a scary passage. But Paul is describing what happens When you are not careful with what you perceive. And there's this horrible truth about sin is that it confuses the mind. And you exchange pure, true wisdom for foolishness. And you exchange knowing the immortal God for worshiping the creation. And and we can look at that perspective and go, how in the world could you go there? And it's the eyes. It's what we focus on. It's our perception. It's what we look at. Three and a half hours to five hours a day should make us go, what are we looking at? What are we looking at? If we're going to build our life to outlast us, if we are going to practice Jesus' words, you can't go another minute without going, what am I perceiving Because it's my desire that my heart be filled with light. It's my hope that my body, my entire body be filled with light. Because my eyes are healthy and I'm focusing on Jesus' words. But it's a daily discipline to make sure our eyes are focused on what they need to be focused on. And it's not easy. The world is full of distractions those creatures that these people worship, the the images of man instead of the creation, those things are deceptively appealing. So you have to be careful. You have to focus on the appropriate things. This is what I want you to think about. Letting Jesus' light fill our hearts strengthens our house. Letting Jesus' light fill our hearts strengthens our house. And because we live in a digital age where we look 58 times at our phone and spend three to five hours a day on it, please pull out your phone one more time. I'm serious. Pull it out. Take a picture of that slide. We're going to try and experiment. Yep. Pull it out. Take a picture of the slide. I'm going to do it too just because I'm telling you guys to do it i got a screen back here, thanks to Nate and, and Michael. Yeah. Take a picture of that. And if you don't know how to do this, um, I can show you afterwards. Take a picture of that and create a lock screen on your phone with that image. Okay? So, 58 times a day you see those words. You can't look at Facebook or your browser or your emails or your calendar or the wonderful pictures of your kids or grandkids without first seeing those words. And we're going to let this little device actually serve us instead of us serve it. As a reminder, do this for one week. And you go, wow, I like my lock screen image. It's a picture of my wife. or It's a picture of my husband. Okay, don't worry. It's saved. You can go back to it. But first, for a week, focus on those words. Letting Jesus' light fill our hearts strengthens our house. So when you pull your phone out 58 times, you will remember that your eyes need to perceive Jesus' light in order to be filled with light. Letting Jesus' light fill our hearts strengthens our house. And you might go, oh, Josh, that's wonderful. I love thinking about Jesus in a general sense. It just makes me smile. But what does it mean specifically? What does it mean to actually let Jesus' light fill my heart? And if you're thinking about that, I think you'll be very interested in what the Apostle Paul has to say in another letter he sent to his church in Philippi. See, all this truth swirls around these ideas Paul knows his church is struggling with this. He knows that they're sitting there going, oh, I love Jesus, but I just don't know what it means for my life. This is what he says in chapter 4. This is the way he's ending his letter. Chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says this to his brothers and sisters. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, There's a dash there for me. Lovely. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says that God, the God of peace, will be with us if we focus on these things. I want that. In today's age when the storms seem to hit me every day and I'm desperately trying to build my house on this rock, I'm desperately trying to practice Jesus' words, I need light in my heart. And Paul says, focus on these things. We live in a day and an age where all we hear is the horrible atrocities of the world. And the reason we hear about that more than anything else is because that's what sells. That's what people are interested in seeing. So it's a product of our own culture. In a day and age where all we see is the atrocities, focus on these things. Focus on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Let those things fill your heart. And that lets our whole body be full of light. So I hope that you took a picture of that I hope that you see that 58 times a day. And I hope when you see it, you say, yes, I want Jesus in my heart. And I want him so much in my heart that it fills my whole body with light. Letting Jesus, letting Jesus' light fill our hearts strengthens our house. And if we do this, we will be a beacon of light for those that are lost. It won't be us, it will be the light inside us. And when that light gets its way out of our body, people will see this and they will go, this is the hope that I've been waiting for. I don't care if it takes a lock screen to get you to think about it. I don't care if it's memorizing the chapter. I don't care if it's looking at God's word daily or multiple times a day. I don't care if it looks like calling me multiple times a day just so I can tell you this. But we have to be focused on the things that produce light in us. We have to be focused on Jesus. Letting Jesus' light fill our hearts strengthens our house. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, God, I ask that you would allow us to focus on what's good in our life. To to focus on, on your light God, I, for one, do not want unhealthy eyes. I do not want what I look at to darken my heart. So God, I ask that you would give me and you would give every person here the courage to choose and to discipline ourselves to focus on your light. That we would have healthy eyes, that we would put into practice your words. And that our house would be built so strong That when the storms come against us, our neighbors would notice and they would say, I want what you have. God, that our light would be so pure inside us that it would come out of us and it would impact the world around us. God, I ask that we would be cautious and careful at what we look at. That we would remember that the images that our brain stores up impact our souls, So God, let us be filled with your light and let our house be strengthened. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen.